0: And welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss the future of the beauty and wellness industries with the people who know them best. I'm your host, Priya Rao, beauty editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Tiffany Masterson, the founder and chief creative officer of Drunk Elephant. In this episode, we talk to Tiffany about starting one of the earliest clean beauty brands, the pros and cons of building community on social media, and what she needs from a partner to sell Drunk Elephant. Hope you enjoy the episode. Today on the Glossy Beauty Podcast, we have Tiffany Masterson, the founder and chief creative officer of clean skincare line Drunk Elephant. Welcome, Tiffany. Hi, thank you for having me. So Tiffany, um, let's go back a little bit. When you first started Drunk Elephant, um, what was your perception of the beauty world and beauty industry before launching your brand?
1: Well, so I was pretty typical consumer, I'd say. Um, and I was frustrated with what I was, you know, finding out there. It wasn't like I was thinking I was going to do anything at all. I just was a very typical looking for something that worked um, and not feeling very hope- hopeful about that. Just, you know, I, I was a brand hopper and I used everything. I remember, I remember Going to the, you know, picking up the Allure Best of Beauty magazine and like literally trying to buy everything in it to see what worked for me. I just, I I was always curious, um, always open minded, always hopeful. I was always falling for the next big thing, you know, Um, but disappointed, I'd say, in what the results I was getting.
0: Did you think of yourself as kind of a beauty junkie or a really avid beauty shopper or really trend driven at all?
1: No, not. No, not really. I think I just, um, I wasn't a beauty junkie. I, I, would, I would buy one, one thing and try, try to see if it worked and then I'd go on to the next thing. You know, I wasn't like a collector. I just usually was focused on trying one thing to see if it would help me.
0: When you think about um, what Drunk Elephant stands for now, you know it was one of the leaders in the clean skincare movement, and you know this idea of not only being you know good for you and good ingredients, but also efficacious. So, talk to us a little bit about the road to get there. So,
1: when I launched Drunk Elephant, I was searching for a name, like a a category name. Um, I was actually asked by Sephora in an email early on what, what category I would fall into, clinical or natural. And I responded, it's a new category. Um, there wasn't another brand at that time calling anything clean. There was non-toxic, um, all natural. Uh, that was kind of what was going on um, in 2013. And so I I went with non-toxic. And I didn't love it because I didn't really feel like it fully represented my brand. And um, so eventually, just because of the negativity of that word, I switch to clean. We had to, in 2015, we had to call the brand something. We had to, you know, kind of put on our, on our, um, on our space in Sephora, you know, a title like that kind of thing. And what are you? Define yourself. And I went with clean, compatible clinical. Um, And I really thought that my philosophy sort of was clean, except for that I was kind of, I was kind of including in that Good for your skin and good for the body. So I was kind of thinking of the whole picture, calling it clean, and no one was really using that word. Um, and then people, then brands started using that word, and but they were defining it differently than me. And so I was frustrated with that because that I was like, wait, 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 that's not what you know. Um, so now I would not define myself as just clean. I, we're clean, um, but the fact that we're biocompatible, and that's really what the word was I was searching for from the beginning, and I actually said it to Sephora early on, and it was more like that's not a word that's used so, so often, and so will the consumer walk in and understand what that means and immediately kind of know. We want, we want a word that people know right away. But I think, looking back, I wish I would have gone with that gut, um, just using biocompatible, because that's frankly what it is. All biocompatible ingredients are clean, but not all clean ingredients are biocompatible. So while we're clean, we are also biocompatible. So now we call it clean compatible. So people understand clean's great. It's necessary. That's what the consumer wants. But I don't feel clean is enough when you're taking care of your skin and want healthy, thriving skin. Um, Clean compatible is, is what we are. So. That's that was kind of that's where I am today.
0: So, Tiffany, when you first got started, you know, one of the things that really differentiated um, Drunk Elephant, besides being clean at the time, was the Suspicious Six. Tell us a little bit about that or what you were thinking, because now, you know, every brand has a no list. Every retailer has a a no list. What were you thinking?
1: Well, so I'm glad you brought that up because the Suspicious Six is the is the biocompatible part of it. It's the compatible part of it. Suspicious 6 is often misunderstood, misrepresented um, as clean. Like like I'm saying, oh, we're clean because we avoid the Suspicious 6, which is completely not the way that that that's intended to be. Um, It's not true. Um, The Suspicious 6 are just ingredients that I suspect are at the root of skin issues. Um, Essential oils are clean, Are they biocompatible though with your skin? So those are two different things. And so in the beginning, I had that list that brands have that listed all of these ingredients that aren't in my brand, and that was more of that whole non-toxic vibe, you know. Um, And I actually, you know, I took it down off my website because it was it was leading people to think that I, you know, was this brand that's you know. strictly non-toxic and avoiding parabens and avoiding, you know, all of these ingredients. And actually, not true. You know, parabens are actually not bad. Right. And so I didn't want to fall into that whole thing where, you know, I was one of those brands, and not that it's a bad thing, every, every brand has their identity, but I wanted to be very clear about who I was, and that is that, yes, being clean and trying to avoid ingredients that are linked to internal disease or disruption, that's always important. But I'm not going to keep that list on my website and have that be the, the thing about my brand that differentiates me or makes me what I am, because that's not what makes Drunk Elephant tick. It's the other part, the suspicious six, the ingredients I avoid that are included in most brands' products that I really feel are problematic, and I don't even know if anyone agrees with me on that, my consumer might agree, but I don't, I just, it's not really a thing in the industry. It's, it's my own personal um, suspicion, you know, that these, these ingredients and there, there is evidence and there's scientific study that shows some of these things are exactly true. You know, that they are true, that they aren't compatible with the health of the skin. However, that's not why I excluded them. I excluded them because I studied the ingredients, I used them, I tested and I did experimentation with myself and my friends and my family early on to see if maybe my theory, you know, held water. And so that philosophy from the very beginning was what drove me and what makes the brand what it is. I think it's why the products are, you know, are resonating with people and I think that's really what we're all about. So I want to move away from this, you know, whole thing of having the no list or the black list or, you know, whatever, and and be clear about, you know, what, what really is important to me for this brand.
0: When you think about how much confusion there is in the space, whether it's clean or organic or non-toxic, how are you communicating what you are to your customer and keeping them continually engaged? So um,
1: that's also a great question because I, you know, I believe that my... Customer, I mean, there are a lot of people who understand the philosophy very well. I think there's been waves of sort of these layers of Drunk Elephant that people are kind of, they realize as time goes on, I think the first wave of awareness around Drunk Elephant was really like the, the name, the colors, the packaging. And we sort of got attention about that for a while. And then, then it was like, oh, wow, the people started kind of saying the products worked they were effective, you know, so it was kind of a weird, like, discovery because I think people assumed immediately with the colors and the name that it was just a fun line and, you know, maybe a a line for young girls, and it didn't really, you know, we weren't serious about the formulations. And the second wave came when people started kind of realizing the products worked, um, and, and that was great. And then I think that even though people have experience that the products work and that they understand that I exclude certain things, there's still a huge misunderstanding and not a clear, you know, not a clear understanding of why they work and what the philosophy is and why it is. And that's why I still hear a lot of people kind of saying, oh, they're just they're a non-toxic brand. Uh, They avoid these scary ingredients and, um, you know, they they vilify these ingredients, Um, you know, all of those kind of comments that make me know that. I don't think that the the consumer really yet understands fully or that it hasn't fully, like, you know, is not, I, I don't know how to say, um, embraced yet, that it's actually the philosophy of, of avoiding these six ingredients. And I'm not saying they're dangerous, you know, at all. I'm saying that I think that they're just problematic for the health of the skin. And so I think when people start to, grasp that and understand that, that that's, that's what's made the brand successful, why, that's why it, these products work, that then there'll be another sort of, I hope, wave of kind of, um, oh, okay, light bulb moment, you know, that's that's it. You know, maybe there is something to the philosophy. Maybe, in, in you know, based on what I see every day, the DMs I get, the emails I get, the letters I get, the handwritten letters I get, which is really special, um, that is what's happening. And um, so I think... I don't know if I answered your question. I, I know that it was a long answer, but that's kind of what I'm hoping to see.
0: Um, so, Tiffany, as a founder, you know you have a very hands-on approach. I know that you are very involved in social listening. You're DMing with your customer. You know you're talking to her um, on the regular. So, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, how are you communicating with her? What What happens when people are confused? When they disagree?
1: So, you know, my philosophy from the beginning, or my approach to my consumer, um, was to be accessible. And I really believe that if people are buying my product and spending money on my product, that I should be there to guide them and help them through it. Maybe it's the mom in me. But I think that it's my responsibility to make sure people are using the product as intended and that they do get their money's worth and they do have a good experience. So that's kind of where that's coming from. I want to be on there to answer their questions and hear their, you know, hear their complaints and hear their, you know, what's working, what's not, and all of that. And so um, it's like I'm an open, you know, I'm an open book there. I'm there. They can ask me anything they want. I even have, I even host a, um, it's called Social Sunday now, but for a while it was Fake You Friday. And I'm there. There's no, there's nothing off limits except for, you know, it's, it's not that I don't want people coming on saying the product didn't work for me, but it's kind of like you you know, you I've been doing it long enough, you sort of know when it's a sincere negative uh, comment and an insincere negative comment. And we do get, you know, we get both, but it's kind of like I always assume that the person coming on is sincere and really does want help and really does want to understand and use the products and make it work for them. Um, but occasionally you get, these negative people who come on and they don't really want an answer and they're really not there for that. Their they might their purpose might be different, and you know you kind of that comes to light pretty quickly when you start going back and forth with them. So it, I kind of view it as my house, and people come in. I like to acknowledge them. I like to like their comments. I like to say thank you. I do the same thing on DM. I do the same thing on the feed, um, but then. When someone comes in the house and is rude or nasty or confrontational or rude to the other people in the community, um, I think they should be deleted. I think they should be, you know, asked to leave um, just because that's not the community I'm building. Um, I'm not building a community purposely. Like, the, the my reason for being is not to have people come on and fight and be nasty with each other and, 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 and say things that are unkind. That's just not what i want i want my community to be um i want it's 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 there for a purpose it's for us to educate it's for us to ask answer questions it's for them to be able to have access to the brand it's for them to help each other it's for them to share each other with each other their experiences and and to share with me their feedback that's how i get that's how i learn if a package is not working out or a formulation is not popular um, it's how I, it's how I learn new things. They ask me questions I don't know. I go look it up. It's beneficial for everyone. So when somebody comes on and they, they come on to challenge, um, and they're not sincere and they don't really, they're not a follower. It's interesting. Um, if you look at some of these people who come on, they don't follow the brand and it makes you wonder if you're not following the brand, but you're here making these comments and you're calling out the philosophy and you're calling out, you know, what are you here for? And I, I, I would like to be a brand that has boundaries and doesn't put up with it because it's really not acceptable.
0: How do you kind of balance that though? When you know the rest of the industry is so focused on that, when they're so focused on call out culture or naming names or
1: you I, know. I don't. I think call out culture is a compliment. Um, if you have somebody who's truly looking out for the well being of others, um, and the watchdog term, too. It's just a compliment. It's a bully culture is what it is. Um, And here's why. I think a true call-out culture is when you are dealing with the facts, and you have both sides, and you're trying to help somebody. And it could be a a positive thing. It should be a positive thing. If you're trying to help people, it should be in a positive way. I think this is more of a bully culture. They're not asking. uh, They're not coming to you and asking for the truth, they don't care about the truth. Their, their, their reason for being is to try to make people and brands look bad. Um, and frankly, I think it's super damaging. Um, I appreciate uh, being held accountable for my actions. And I totally appreciate, because um, I'm a consumer. And so my brand was built for the consumer. I built for me. I'm a consumer. And, I, and I, so I'm thinking of all these things that are good for the consumer. I don't like this. I mean, it's like uh, the whole... Um, brand versus consumer thing, that's that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do.
0: Tiffany, you have a very special relationship with Sephora here in the U.S., where you're sold exclusively besides um, your own DTC site and obviously your very new pop-up here in New York. Talk to us a little bit about why, why Sephora is right for you, why it continues to be right for you when, you know, so many other brands are really looking for so many different distribution strategies and it's like more, more, more means more sales, more revenue, more growth.
1: So I, I've always sort of felt that I'm kind of a one retail, one retail woman, you know, kind of thing. I, I, I think that, I mean, in some cases that's not the case, like in the UK, I'm I have two retailers, but it makes sense there for a certain reason. But here, it's like I am a great partner to Sephora; they're a great partner to me. Um, I I want to be able to focus um, all of my energy and resources um, and do it well. And I just don't think for me, um, spreading out thin is the right way for the brand. I think it's easier to lose control of the brand that way. I think that it's just it, it's just frankly, it's like, it's more manpower on the ground for us. It's not, we, we don't do it as well when we don't focus like this with, like we are with Sephora. Um, and so far so good. It's been, it's just been a really great partnership and, um, they've helped me and I've helped them and it's just been, you know, good. But I think that if it made sense at some point we go out, but right now it doesn't make sense today. Um, because you know, we're, we're doing well there, and it's, 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 it's all good. But um, I just think for now, you know, um, it's, it's not something I want to try to do is expand too much. We're, we're working on expanding globally. That takes a lot of time and resource. So, you know, it's, if it's, it's working, we're just going to keep doing it that way until, until we see a reason not to.
0: How does that kind of play back to your pop-up, which just opened here in New York, and, you know, this experiment of testing, you know, standalone stores?
1: So i mean we're 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 not testing really standalone stores. I don't think that's the point of it. Um, the pop up for me is to uh, it's kind of a thank you to the the fan base um for you know supporting and loving the brand. It's we, you know it's kind of like come to our house we're we're open, and we want you to step inside and experience the brand and have access to us and um it really is. I think of it as a thank you. Um, we, we, I don't have any plans right now to do anything, uh, like start opening stores or anything. Again, I'm, you know, I've got the brick and mortar that's covered. Um, but just a th- just kind of like, look, I mean, we, we hear you, we, we, we feel your love, and we, we wanted to come here and, and have you come join us and just you know, kind of be able to see and do and buy some things that you can't normally, you know... You wouldn't normally be able to. Um, so we have swag there. We've got drunk elephant, you know, shirts and sweatshirts and hats and everything. And and it's very, it's it's wild. It's it's a really impressive space. And um, we've kind of gone over the top with um, the technology and the the. We're launching a new product that or a, a product that's existing, but um, it's La La, um, we made it better. And so it's a new version of La La and. Um, and all sorts of things. We share our philosophy, and it's just a way for us to kind of go city to city, um, and sh- and do that. The, the 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 larger goal here is, of course, to um, to help people by sharing our philosophy, and that's kind of where what we're looking at now. So,
0: so Tiffany, when you think about Kind of the pop-ups in their past iterations, whether it was in London or in Singapore, those were really largely used as not only you know thank yous, but also to welcome you to new markets, whether right. it was the UK or Asia. Talk to us a little bit about those um, international moves and how that worked. Right. Well,
1: in those cases, of course, it was it, it was to launch, and when we saw the um, the way that uh, consumer responded to the pop-ups, you know, it, it's just it it was exciting to think you know we should do this for. For you know some of these cities in the United States because you know that's where we started. So, um, but for that it was the launch. It was we wanted we want to go in. We want to do it right. We want to we want to definitely give the people there a chance to meet us and see who we are. Um, and you know we 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 took our time with both of those launches and, and really put everything we had into them to make them special. We you know you only get a chance to to do it one time, so we want to do it right. Um, and so I think we just it's kind of like doing everything we can to make a splash in that market um, and um, show them that we're really excited to be there um, and and make that extra effort. you know, so I think we'll probably do that uh, several times. and when whenever we launch in a new market, I think that's the way we'll do it um, because it was very successful.
0: So talk to us a little bit about um, the DTC side of the business. You know, obviously, you've got brick and mortar down, obviously, here in Sephora in the U.S. and, you know, in Space and K in the U.K. What's happening online and digitally?
1: So we have not focused as much um, on that just because we've been focused on doing the retail partnerships the right way. Um, And we have grown fast. And so we haven't had a whole lot of time to, you know, it's just kind of like, the next thing is it's kind of like it's it's not been neglected. It's doing well. It's just that we haven't, you know, done all we can, I'll say. So I think in the next two years I can see that growing and um, we will nurture it a little bit more. And um, but it's doing well when you think about, you know, that we really haven't tried yet in that area. But but it's exciting to me. I think there's a future there for sure.
0: So, Tiffany, you know, you've been one of the buzziest brands being talked about in beauty right now and that industry sources estimated that you guys hit $150 in sales last year, which is significant. Um, Talk to us a little bit about kind of where you kind of see that growth coming from and where you think continued growth is coming from.
1: Well, uh, the growth is coming from people talking about the brand. And that's super clear to me. Um, It's word of mouth. It's what you want. Um, it was it was what I hoped for, uh, but you you never know, quite know if you know you're, you're going to get it. But I think that when you, um, I think the most important thing for us is to, to deliver the product and actually help somebody. Um, when I when I you know sort of started living that philosophy and and treating my skin that way and eliminating certain things, I just wanted to sit down and tell people about it. I mean I remember, just the, I remember always saying, "Drunk Elephant" is really me sitting on the couch. With a consumer is like my best girlfriend, and I'm just trying to share, you know, l- listen what worked. I'm so excited about it. It's a very typical conversation that anybody has when they find something they love, you know, you got to try it kind of thing. And I think just based on the feedback I've gotten, um, that that's really why we don't pay influencers to speak about the brand, um, we don't advertise. So, it's you know, it's one of those things that it just had to be that way. It, it If it didn't work, it didn't work, but it but, I think that's what's happening. and And we, you know, we try to send the product for people to try, um knowing, even including influencers with large followings all the way down to, you know, micro influencers or even people who just are fans that want to try it for whatever reason. we don't really care about the follow following. It's not it's that's not we don't even really look at that. It's more you know, um, let them try it. And if they want to talk about it, they'll talk about it. If they don't want to talk about it, there's no requirement to talk about it. And there's no requirement to say something good about it. I mean, they're, they can, they're free to say something terrible about it. And we send the product out. That's our advertising budget. We use that budget to send product out. So, um, you know, it, it, it can be a risky thing, I guess, if people, you know, if people start not liking it and talking about it negatively, but, that's also like that would mean that the brand wasn't gonna work and that's good to know. So we're just put it put it out there into the world and 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 kind of let the natural organic feedback come and I think what's happened is it's grown the brand, thankfully.
0: Tiffany, how have you kind of avoided also not only the advertising tropes and the influencer tropes that exist in beauty, but also the constant pushing out of product? Because you guys are very methodical and how many products you drop a year what the reason for being are, you know, whereas in other categories, it's like more, more, more.
1: Well, so again, I think we're not growing based on product drops. Um, and I think we're growing based on word of mouth. And so when I drop a product, it is really for a specific reason. That's why you'll, you, you won't see me uh, discontinuing products. Um, if I launch a product, it's, it's, it's because the product was a natural extension it was needed, it was wanted, and it makes sense with the line. So I, you won't see me launching trends. I, I don't pay attention to that at all. I really try from my gut to kind of say, you know, what what makes sense next? What do I want? What am I missing in my routine? Um, and, and it's funny, when I come up with it, when it pops in my head and I'm like, hmm, and I start, you know, and I kind of start making it or whatever, developing the product, inevitably, somebody on the Instagram or on the email will come and say, oh, I'm dying for this. And it's always the same. It's like they're, we're on the same wavelength a little bit. So I think it's just been such an organic, like, adding to the line. Um, and, and the consumer knows the line. And I'm in touch with the consumer. And it all just sort of works. And it's it's not – it's – that's that's how, because I'm not going to launch products just to launch products, and I'm not going to discontinue products just so I can launch more products. I'm going to launch thoughtful products that really make sense and improve them as the years go on because there's always room for improvement, and that makes it very exciting. So I have two product launches a year that are brand new, and then one re- renovation, uh, which is what I'm doing right now with Lala, that is exciting and that it's a product that's maybe loved already and I've made it better – or a product that needs work and I've improved it. So there's always room for that. Um, and that's, that's I'm, I don't see myself falling into that trap simply because there's other roads to take now too. I mean, there's other categories out there, you know. I'll just follow what makes sense, follow my gut.
0: So Tiffany, last question I have to ask. You know, you've had a lot of um, interest on the business front as well. You have a new CEO and um, earlier this year you guys announced that you were possibly exploring a sale. How serious are you about acquisition and what would kind of make sense for you for it to be right? So it it would have
1: to really be um, someone who shared my values and um, it, it, it would be a forever thing for me because I am not looking to sell my brand and move on or anything like that. There are things I want to do with the brand. And again, whatever, you know, the timing could possibly make sense. I don't know if it happens tomorrow or happens in a year or 10 years. I, I don't know, but I'm open to it. I'm open to the right partner and I'm open to it at the right time. So it, I'm I'm just sort of, um, I'm just keeping my options open and I'm going to be really careful about if if and when I select somebody that it's somebody that really shares my values and will let me be who I am and let the brand continue to be what it is. Um, and that's all very important. It's not going to be, it's, it, it's going to be more of a strategic thing for me because I feel like the brand needs to step it up in certain areas. Um, it won't be a thing about just selling. and it, it's, it's not for that. It, it would have to be for a very real reason that, that, that the brand's ready for and all of that. So lots to consider and lots to take into consideration. And so if that happens, you know, it happens. We'll
0: see. So nothing to share quite yet.
1: No, no, no,
0: no, nothing to share. No. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tiffany. It was great having you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three month subscription of Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members have access to unlimited content, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's 80% off by entering the code INTRO at checkout. For more information, head to glossy.co slash subscribe. We'll talk to you next week.